Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. guys welcome 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 man i'm grateful for you and i'm glad that you are here um if you're joining us online or the podcast or an app thank you as well for being with us and at this time i would just like to invite or ask you to get out your bibles or get out a bible app and turn to the book of psalms that is in the old testament and turn to specifically psalm number 51 and um We're just, as you've seen, we're just continuing in our series that we've entitled Mixed Tape. And what we've been doing over the last few weeks, we've got several more weeks to go, we're going through different psalms in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, we've talked about this, is really just a collection of songs for God's people to sing, really, in any season of life. So no matter what you may be going through There is a psalm in the book of Psalms that you can sing and it will speak to you. We've looked at so many different things. We've looked at a song of help. We've seen a song of despair. Last week we looked at a song of worship. And today we are going to specifically look at a psalm of restoration. Today we are going to look at a psalm that you can sing when you have drifted away from God. Once again, none of us would be unfamiliar with this. There has been, I understand, I believe, a time in every one of our lives as a Christian where we have drifted from the Lord. And so we know this. Maybe you're even there today. Let me begin by just, let me begin, let me begin this way. Let me begin by asking you just a question. Have you ever noticed that whatever you touch gets on your hands. You know what I'm saying? No matter what you touch, it gets on your hands. Now, if you um, have children, you really would understand this. You know this. At my house, I got two, two children, and when they were younger, they would touch things, and they would not wash their hands, and they would touch the wall. So, therefore, if you came over to my house and you were to look at my walls, you would see dirt to about the height of my child. And you know, as my kids got bigger, <laughs> the walls got dirtier. I, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you, man. About a couple of weeks ago, my son's now 13 years old. He's almost my size. We got like these arches in my house and I looked up and there were fingerprints on the arches and I know they weren't mine, but it's true. Whatever you touch is gonna to get on your hands. That's not just true for children, that's, that's true for all of us. Whatever we touch is going to get on your hands. It doesn't matter 
how careful you might be. You know this very well. You're going to be eating a big old bag of Cheetos, those little cheese puffs. They get on your hands. You touch dusty furniture, the dust gets on your hands. This week, um, just the other day, I was, Alan's got a garage. I was at your garage and you were helping me with some stuff. And when I left, I had dirt on my hands. That's, that, is, that, is, that is just a, that's a simple life truth. If you touch it, it's going to get on your hands. But I'm telling you, there is also spiritual implications to that as well. Because we as Christians, we desire, we want to have clean, holy hands. We do. The problem is sometimes we touch things that we ought not touch. Sometimes we do things that we ought not be doing and our spiritual hands get what? They get dirty. I mean, if you are doing what the world is doing, you're handling the things that the world is handling, you're going to get some dirt on your hands, just like eating a big old tub of the Cheetos on your hands. Now, in the real world, your hands get dirty. What do you do? You go wash them off. You get some soap, you get some water. Easy enough, I guess. But what if you get your spiritual hands dirty? What do you do then? Like, you, you, can't, you, you can't go, you can't go, you can't go to, to the sink and wash them and soap them. It's not, it's not going to clean them. The only way to get your spiritual hands clean is to ask God to clean them. That is called repentance. That's all there is. And in Psalm 51, that is exactly where we find King David. In Psalm 51, his hands have gotten very, very dirty. Now, I'll talk about this in a moment, but he is a believer. He is a child of God, but he started doing things that the world does and his hands got very, 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 very dirty. And he did not even realize that his hands were dirty until God in his grace sent the prophet Nathan to him and told him that his hands, well, they were dirty. You got some dirty hands. And David responded, he was convicted and he did the next thing. He repented and Psalms 51 is a record of that repentance. He had drifted. He had touched things, done things, thought things, acted in ways he should not and he had dirty, dirty hands. And God in his graciousness convicted him. So here's the question. If you and I have a tendency to drift, if there's times in our lives when we have dirty spiritual hands and we need repentance, we too need to repent. And in this Psalm, Psalm 53, we're going to see that you need to have the right view of three things to get your hands clean, to repent in a way that honors God. So let's walk through this Psalm. You got David. He's been confronted by Nathan. He has repented. The first thing you're going to need going to get your hands clean is you're going to need to have a right view of sin. You got to view that stuff right. The reality is that many of us simply do not have a correct view of sin. I just recently saw a book. It was called um, The Sinfulness of Sin. I thought it was an odd name of a book, but it is correct. I've been repeating it in my mind. Sin is sinful. Okay. So you get to the Psalm. The Psalm 51 opens up. You're going to get a heading. Let's look at the heading first. Here's what the heading says, the introduction. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. So that's the title. He's repenting. Then it says, to the choir master. That lets us know this is a song for the people of God. A psalm of David. Here's what went down. 
when Nathan the prophet went to him, that's King David, after he had gone into Bathsheba. So, so this is the reason that he has been approached by God. This is the reason that he needs to repent. You may not have read what happened. Let me just, this is, this is what's going down real quickly. Here's what's going down, all right? First Samuel. Okay, so in First Samuel, we're told this. We're told that David was a man after God's own heart. All right, we could talk about that all day long. Basically, I think that means that by God's grace, that David was a New Testament saint, that he was born again. You're like, well, how do you know it means that? Well, here's one of the reasons I know this. I know this, you're not born with the heart after God. I know my, nobody born with the heart, David was not. You cannot earn it. You cannot earn a heart that's after God. The only way you can get a heart after God's own heart is by grace through faith and that faith is a gift from God so that nobody, including King David, is going to stand before God Almighty and boast. It is all God. I take it to mean that David is an Old Testament born again saint, but check it out. Even though he was born again, he still lived in this body of flesh. He still battled with this body of flesh, this flesh wages war against us. And like all of us, every one of us, he still struggled with sin after salvation. Real quickly, if you are a Christian and you're here right now and you do not still struggle with sin, would you please raise your hand because I would like to identify you. None of us, none of us. You can get his hands dirty. But David, David, David had a particular sin that kind of entangled him. We all have different sins that entangle us. David's particular sin was he had problem, problems with women. He just did. He just did. If he wanted a woman, he was, at the, he was at the height of his power. If he wanted a woman, he'd take a woman. He didn't even care if they were married. And that's what happens. He sees this woman named Bathsheba. She's married to one of his military officers named Uriah. He takes her. She becomes pregnant. And then he has Uriah killed in battle, my friend, that's some dirty hands. There's nobody who's going to sit there, hear that story, and say, this man does not have dirty hands. But I still take it that he's a born-again saint, Old Testament saint. I do. Now we sit there real quick. No, 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 no. We sit there we go, wait, 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 wait. How, how is that? How's that man, how's that man be, be doing stuff like that? I say, slow down, man. Is that not a picture of me? No, seriously. I don't know how many times I've thought things I ought not think. I do things I ought not do. I act in ways I should not act contrary to the will of God. I am born again by the grace of God. My hands get dirty, but by God's grace, by God's grace, I'm convicted and I repent. And here is his repentance. Verse one, that's the setup <laughs> David got some dirty hands. Number one, not number one, first verse, here's what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to the abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. A right view of sin is needed if you're going to repent, Right? You got to recognize that your sin deserves judgment. Look, look, look at David. Look at it. David, 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 David. David says, I want your 
mercy. I want your mercy. That is an admission that he does not deserve to be acquitted. If he thought he deserved to be acquitted, then he would have been pleading for justice. He doesn't want justice. He wants mercy. You you don't want justice. I don't want justice. I want mercy. About a week ago, two weeks ago, I was talking to a person. It was a lovely conversation, a lovely person, a lovely person, a lovely person. They weren't a Christian, but they had all these questions, and they told me this. They told me this. They go, you know what? They said, I believe in karma. I said, okay, okay, I want you to understand. There is no such thing as karma. Like, what do you mean there's no such thing as karma? Let me tell you right now, if there was such a thing as karma, we would all be devastated, right? Karma says you do something good, something good going to happen to you. But ain't none of us doing anything good. You get anything good, you don't want karma. You don't want karma. You don't want justice. You want mercy. I want mercy. True repentance has to recognize that you need mercy. And without the mercy of God, we get judgment. So we cry for mercy. But here's what I want all of us to notice. Christian, check this out. He doesn't, man, the text, I love the text, the text, the text. He doesn't plead for, ask for any kind of mercy. He asks for mercy according to what? God's steadfast love. That's important. That's exceedingly important. David doesn't say, God, I am pleading for a general kind of mercy, you know, a common kind of mercy. I want, I am asking for your steadfast mercy. The question is this, why? Why Why is David asking for a specific type of mercy from God? Well, yeah, no, there is, there's two types of mercy that God dispenses. Two types of graces that God dispenses. And let me talk about this. The first type that God dispenses, this is not the type he asks for, is what we would call theologically common grace, right? Common grace, common mercy is the mercy, is the grace that God extends to everyone. Like you do not have to be a Christian in order to receive common grace, common mercy, you hate God, you don't believe in God, it doesn't matter, you're going to get that, you're going to get that, right? What are some examples? Um, the sun, the sun, the sun is an example of a common grace, common mercy, right? Sun going to shine on you whether you like God or not. Rain, common, right? You're going to get wet, you're going to get rain. You don't even have to believe in rain, you're going to get wet, you know what I'm saying? How about this one? How about, how about, how about this one? Coffee, right? Coffee is a common grace, Tacos are a common grace. No, seriously, man, you do not have to be a Christian to enjoy tacos. God don't care. That's a common grace, common mercy. That's not what David asked for, though. David didn't ask for that common grace. He asked for steadfast, the steadfast love of God. That's the second type of grace and mercy that God extends. It's called saving grace. The steadfast, steadfast. In Hebrew, the word is kased. God, show me your kased love. That's covenant language. It's not based on how I act. 
It's not based on my merit. It's not, you cannot earn the cassette. The cassette mercy, the cassette love, this loving, steadfast grace comes from a covenant. God, David, 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 David is saying, man, I have sinned grievously. My hands are dirty. God, God, give me your covenant love. I need that covenant, steadfast love, not based upon my actions. Come on, man, but based upon Christ Jesus. You're my God. Have mercy on me. He continues, verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, he's saying, wash me, cleanse me, right? He's, he's speaking of cleaning a garment that has been soiled, that is completely foul and useless because sin leaves a deep, deep stain. We've got to understand. We've got to understand. We've got to understand. Listen, listen. This sin, man, I so easily tread in sin and I impose upon the grace of God because he is good and he is gracious. He kind. But just because God is gracious, just because God is kind, let me not think, not me not diminish the fact that I've sinned. And the right view demands that I understand I need cleansing. Keep going. Verse three, four, I know. David says, oh God, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse four, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Notice this church, notice this. David says, David confessed, I have sinned against two, God. God. We can understand. No, we got ultimately all of our sin is against God. Now I understand that if I sin, I may sin against a person. I may be sinned against by a person. I may sin against others. I may do many things I ought not do, but ultimately superseding all of those sins is I've sinned against a holy, gracious God. Now, the deal is, I believe many people, I've actually done this myself. We'll cry out, we'll cry out, we'll cry out. God, forgive me. I'm a, I'm a, I got my hands dirty. My hands dirty. I don't got my hands dirty to God. I don't, forgive me. All right, so I'm asking for forgiveness. But then we kind of shift and then we start giving a list of reasons why we sin. All right? I call that the, I don't know, the confession dance. All right? We do that. Not David. The confession dance, confession dance, I sinned, but man, my life is hard. I sinned, but they were very mean to me. I sinned, but these circumstances were coming against me. I sinned, I sinned, I sinned, but that's the little, I don't know, dance. Not David. David does not do that. All true confession, God land on me, the sinner, me, whoever you sinned. God, I sinned. I did it. Me. It's me. I, it's me. And that's David. But look, he goes even farther than just saying, I sin. Look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Wow, that's, you know, David saying, hey, 
Not only did I sin against you, God, I've been sinning against you since birth. I was born sinning. It is in my nature. And this is something we need to understand as well. Like we are not born morally neutral. We're not. We are born sinners. So we're sinners by choice and we're sinners by nature. Theologically, they call that total depravity. And we are. There is no hope outside of Jesus. So true repentance involves first a right view of sin. That's what you're repeating, a right view of sin. But we're going to see it involves a second thing as we're following, following David's repentance. You've got to also have a right view of God. And that's where David moves. He goes from recognizing his sin to recognizing God. Verse 6 is going to shift. We're going to look at God. Behold you, that's God. Delight in what, church? Truth. In the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What? No, no, seriously. What does God delight in? Truth. Truth delights God. Where? The inward being. So now we got David shifting, looking at the holiness of God. God, you are holy. So check it out. Not only is my sin foul, not only have I been sinning since birth and I am continually sinning now, you are completely holy, my friend. That is a two-fold problem. But any repentance involves recognizing that God is holy and God, listen, 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 please, God does not ultimately care how many times you go to church. God does not ultimately care how many Christian books you own. God does not ultimately care how many, I don't know, Christian t-shirts you have or how many times you post a verse on the social media, whatever. That's not his ultimate concern. God is not ultimately concerned about the exterior. What, 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 come on. He's concerned with the inside. What does scripture say? Scripture said, scripture says man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And the deal is, deal is, deal is, and we know this, we can all mask it. We can. We do. We do. We can mask it. I'm going to play those games. I'm going to play those games. We all do, right? I'm going to say the right thing at the right time. I'm going to do the right thing at the right time. It's always amazing to me. It's always amazing to me. Um, I, if I'm in the gym and I'm around guys, man, and some guys, they, they can use some foul language. But as soon as they find out I'm a pastor, they start apologizing. And I'm like, great, great, that's fine, that's fine. But I want you to understand me nor God is concerned about the outward appearance. Here, man. Keep going. He continues, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Check that out. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I'm going to be clean. Now what does that mean? I'm going to tell you right now, that is a picture of 
That's an Old Testament picture of Jesus. What is the hyssop plant? The hyssop plant, hyssop plant's a small kind of scrubby plant and it's got these branches and on the branches, it's kind of, I don't know, got leaves and they got, I don't know, kind of some hairy, kind of no hairy leaves. Those are hairy leaves. I don't know. I'm not a botanist, okay? I don't know. Deal is, you pull off the hyssop branch and you can dip, it's like a paintbrush, man. You can get the hyssop, put in some paint, you can paint stuff with it. Or you can do what the priest did. You can take that hyssop branch. You can put it in a bowl where the blood of a perfect lamb has been slain. You dip it in there. You take it to the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant and you sprinkle it there. And that is where the sins of a nation are forgiven. And David says, God, God, do that to me. Oh, to me. Sprinkle that stuff on me. God, I've got iniquities. God, you are holy. God, I need to take that hyssop and I need that blood, it's pointing to Jesus, sprinkled on me. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You know, I think, I think there's some Christians that do not believe that God can change their sinful habits. I believe he can. I believe he can. Now, I understand this. Sometimes you might get into a situation where you see somebody, or maybe it's even you, and you continually struggle with the same sin. The pattern has got you. It's, incl- it's entangled you. And you just keep going. And you're like, where, where, where's the power? Where am I trapped? What's going on? How can this be? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, it is not because God lacks power. He has all the power. You've got to be like David. I believe. You gotta be like David. You gotta have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. You gotta go to him. Keep going. Look, verse 10. Because he's gonna ask God to do something only God can do. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, David is asking God here to do things only God can do. He's not asking, David's not saying, God, can you give me, God, can you give me a self-help book? God, can you give me some sort of instruction how I can, I don't know, increase my self-esteem? No, no power of positive thinking. No, God, listen, God, I need you to do what only you are capable of doing. Because I'm sitting here and I am struggling. My hands have gotten dirty. I am repenting. God, I am sorry. God, you are holy. Now you in your power, in your graciousness, in your goodness, create in me. Maybe create in me, create in me, create in me, create in me. I don't know. Give me the power. Give me the ability to get out of this sin cycle that has so easily entangled me. God does not lack power. So you're gonna repeat, you got dirty hands. I got dirty hands, man. I've been touching things I ought not touch. I've been looking at things I ought not be looking at. You need to have a right view of your sin. You gotta have a right view of God. And the final thing that we see David have here He's got a right view of self. It's hard, man, to have a right view of yourself. It is. It's, it's very difficult. Very few of us do have a right view of ourself. Um, we tend to kind of oscillate. We do. You know, sometimes we're going to think too poorly of ourselves. Other times we're going to think 
I don't know, too good of ourselves. So kind of have that tension. But listen, Christian, one, you are a sinner saved by grace. You know that. What do sinners, I mean, no, seriously, what what do sinners do? They sin. That's why you're called a sinner. But I'm telling you right now, Christian, that is not your core identity. God saved you. God the Spirit indwells you. You're born again. You're adopted. You have the Holy Spirit. So you have the power and the grace of God. Guys, listen to me, church. Hear me out. You can walk differently than the world does. You can act differently than the world does. We are not helpless. Guys, church, listen to me. We have been called by God to be clearly distinct. Paul says it this way. We need to work out what God has worked in. I live a holy lifestyle. I mean, clearly distinct, clearly distinct. Gotta be holy. Wanna be holy. We're going to continue looking at these last few verses. Once again, I'm going to go back to this. Um, Same person I was talking to, a really neat person, not a believer. They're asking me all these questions. and One of their questions was this, and you guys will get it. But this person goes, there are friends of mine who say they are Christians but they live really awful lives. Why is that? It's a good question. It's a good question. Clearly their hands have gotten dirty if they are in fact Christians at all. Why is it important for us to be clearly distinct? Why is it important for us to live holy? Three reasons as we close out here. Verse 13, we see for the sake of others. Others who do not know God, look at this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David says, listen, 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 listen. Forgive me, right? You're holy, forgive me, forgive me. And then as I get my hands clean, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna tell people who do not know about you, about you. I am going to live a clearly distinct lifestyle So I can tell people about you. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God, my salvation and my tongue. Look, whoa, 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 whoa. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Let me tell you this. You know this, I'm sure. But it is very difficult to come to church and sing of God's righteousness when you are not living a clearly distinct life. It is. It is just hard, man. I have seen it over and over again, different places, different countries. I've seen, I've seen so you got, you got these guys, you got this guy, I got these guys, and they're in church, and they're there faithfully, and then they disappear for a season, and so I call them up, or I go visit them, or I do something like that, and I'm telling you, almost 90% of the times, the reason they're no longer in church is because they have started touching things, doing things, acting in ways they ought not, and it's hard, it's hard to see Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Come on. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So we do it for others. Going to verse 16 and 17, but we're also holy for the sake of God. Look at this. Check it out. For you will not delight in sacrifices, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, look, here we go, are a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So no, seriously. So you got this clear, you got this, this clearly distinct lifestyle. You got this holiness, man, that I want to live. Why? Because it brings joy to God. When God's people, when God's people, by his grace, they start working out what he's worked in, it brings joy to God. You, you, you want to bring joy to God? Scripture says, be holy. Oh, that sounds good. Hey, but listen, that's hard, man. Trev, Trev, look, I, I want to be holy. I want to be clearly distinct, but it's difficult. It is. But we do hard things, and by God's grace, we can be a clearly distinct people. So we, are, we do it for the sake of others. We do it for the sake of God. And lastly, we do it for the sake of fellow Christians. I'm going to walk this out. I'm going to walk this out. I'm going to walk this out. Look at this. Verse 18. Do good in Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight and write sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You see this? Do you see this? The, so you got this confession. You got this repentance. He repents. Man, I'm a sinner. God, you are holy. God, I want you to change me. He gets there to the very end. Now he's in a right relationship. His hands have become clean by the grace of God. And what does he start doing? He starts praying for his fellow Christians. And once again, it's very hard to pray for one another when you're not walking as you ought Walk. So what's at stake here? The usefulness, our usefulness to the lost, our usefulness to the church, and our usefulness to God. We want to be clearly distinct. So let's go back to where we started. Whatever you touch is going to get on your hands, period. I don't care. You go up to Costco. I don't think you go do you try to go to Costco. You go to Costco, they got the tub of Cheetos. You try to eat even one of those and don't get a dirty hand. You're going to get a dirty hand. Spiritually, it's the same way. You touch things you ought not be touching. You're thinking things you ought not be thinking. You're looking at things you ought not be looking at. You're not walking a clearly distinct lifestyle. You're not separate, holy for God's glory. These hands get dirty. How do you clean them? You repent. You repent. You repent. And that is a process that goes on and on and on until the Lord takes you home. We want to be a people rightly related to God. Like David, let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for this example from David of repentance. We understand Man, you're good. We're sinners. And we pray, we call for you to forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. For your glory, for our joy, for the good of those around us, let us be a people with clean hands. And we ask this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Now... As a church body, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We stated, I think, several months ago that it is our desire to be a people who take the Lord's Supper 
more regularly. And so we've scheduled it kind of into the rhythm of our church now. We want to do this. And every time we go into the Lord's Supper, I, I like to explain it. And though you may know this, it's always good to remind, and some of you may not know this. So the first question that people ask, generally, if, is who can take the Lord's Supper? Here at Silverdale Baptist Church, we practice open communion, which means if you are a Christian, you're welcome to the take of the table here. The question then continues on, who cannot take the Lord's Supper? Well, there's really two categories of people who ought not take the Lord's Supper. The first category is this, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, God says this table is not for you, this cup is not for you. Please let the cup pass. The second category of people who should not take the Lord's Supper it's a category we just talked about. If you are a Christian and you got some dirty hands, you got sin that you're not repenting of, you got the Cheetos on the hands, God says, don't come to the table like that. Go wash those hands. Church, go wash those hands. Come with clean hands. Here's the good news. There's not a person here today who cannot take the Lord's Supper. If you're here today and you're saying, I do not know Jesus, I'm telling you right now, you can repent of your sins and call on him to save you and he will save you. And he'll say, come on to the table. Maybe you're here today and you heard the message and you're like, I got some dirty hands. I've touched things I ought not touch. I've done things I ought not do. My hands are dirty. And just like the prophet Nathan, God the Spirit has visited you today and convicted you and you've, you know, oh, whoa, 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 we've got to do the hands. Well, there's only one thing you can do is you repent. Recognize your sin. Recognize God. Recognize yourself. Repent. Repent. You repent. As soon as you repent, what does God say? Come to the table. Come to the table. Come to the table. And so here's what we're going to do going to give you a time to examine yourself before we take the Lord's Supper. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Here's what we're about to do. It's biblical. I hope everything we do is biblical, but I want to show you it's biblical. Let a person examine himself or themselves. And that's what we're about to do. Then, I mean, after that, and so eat the bread and drink the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so for the next minute or so, I'm going to sit over here. We're going to play some music. Church, examine yourself. If you don't know him, ask him to save you. You got dirty hands, repent. And then I'm going to come back up here and as God's people, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Let's examine ourselves.
Father God, we as a people, we thank you for your grace and your goodness and your chesed love, that covenant mercy that you liberally distribute to your children. Thank you. If there's a person here today who does not know you, our prayer is that you would save them this very moment. And if there's any sins that we have that we have not repented of, I pray that you forgive us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. At this time when you came in, I hope you received this, I don't know, maybe it's an hourglass. We've got new ones. The old ones, you know, the wafer, kind of stale. It's a little bit better here. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin by taking the bread together. And so if you could, church, at this time, just take that top portion off and peel it back. Let me say this real quick. If you do not have one of these and you need one of these, could you raise your hands because we can get one to you? Is there anyone who failed to, to... We got... Is there anybody who got some here, some back there? I apologize. We'll get those out. Anybody else, if you want to raise your hand? Let's see. Everybody else, I'm sorry about that. All right. Let's take the bread, put it in your hand, and I want to read 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said listen to this church listen Christian listen listen hear this this is my body which is for who you amen it's for you do this in remembrance of me church For his glory, our joy, and the good of the world, we do this in remembrance of our Savior Jesus. Take the bread, please. Thank you, Jesus. At this time, if you want to flip it over, we're going to come to the juice. If you can, just gently peel that back. read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is these are beautiful words guys the new covenant. He's specific here about this covenant. It's in my blood. Not in the blood of a lamb. Not in the blood of any animal but in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Check this out, church. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what are we doing? It says right here, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and he will return, church. He will return, church. Take the juice and remember him. Let's pray. Father God, you are good and gracious and kind. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that even when I do touch things and do that I ought not, that when I repent, 
You clean those hands. You clean those hands. You clean those hands. You clean those hands. Thank you. I pray that we would be a people who repent, that we'd be a people who remember, that we'd be a people who praise. And we ask all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.